going to be opening the scripture today to James chapter 2, verse 14 through verse 26. If you're new to Sanctuary, we've been walking through the book of James. We are a Bible teaching, old school Bible teaching. We read the scripture, we explain the scripture, and then we apply the scripture. So that's what we are going to be doing this morning. And I'm going to be talking about genuine faith. What does it look like to have genuine faith? 80% of America thinks they have faith. But do people really have genuine faith? So I've got three points. If you're new to church, this is gonna be you're gonna find out what real, genuine, authentic faith looks like. I'm gonna be talking about that. There's three points I have for you. And we're gonna be looking at James chapter two. So if you want to bow your heads with me, we are gonna pray. Father, thank you for today that we can be here. Thank you that you're our provider, that you are our restorer, you're our salvation. You are our healer, our forgiver, and there is no one like you. And Father, this morning we want to give thanks to you. That we are a grateful people, that we don't deserve all that we have and all that you've done for us. And Father, we want to give thanks. We're mindful of what we have. And Father, may we be grateful for that, that you are more than enough. And we thank you, Jesus. And as we open your word, may we do it with hearts of gratitude. Thank you, Father, for everything that you are. To us, we ask your blessing over our service, our time. Everyone here, everyone watching online, everyone in their cars. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. So we're going to be looking at a life-changing passage, a very challenging passage. Again, I have three main points for you about what it looks like to have genuine faith. We're going to be reading from the New Living Translation in, Gen in uh, James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, if you want to stand to your feet, everyone in the tent, you can stand to your feet and let your eyes make uh, contact with the Scripture, either that you're holding or on the screens there. James 2.14 says this, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions or works? Can that kind of faith profit or save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has, good, has no food or clothing, and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good is that? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith and others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble or shudder in terror. You may be seated. So I'm going to talk about faith. There's three types of faith that James talks about in this passage. And I would submit to you that all of us perhaps fall into one of these three categories of faith this morning. First thing he's going to talk to us about, he's going to talk to us about a faith that he calls dead faith. Faith that doesn't have any actions attached to it. And then he's going to talk to us about another type of faith. Verse 19 really calls it a demonic faith. And then lastly, he's going to talk to us from verse 20 through 26, going to talk to you about another type of faith that we all really want to have, and that's a dynamic faith. So he begins, if you'll notice in verse 14, he says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? 
He said, what profit is this? So what James is saying is that unfortunately, though, so many people think that they have faith. Some people have faith that really would be classified, according to James 2, as a dead faith. And so most statistics show that Americans, the majority of Americans, claim they have faith. But what he's saying is this. He says, no one is a Christ follower based on what they say. You can't say that you're a follower just based on what you say. And Jesus even talked about this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, where he said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven, but those that do, those that do the will of my Father. So Jesus and James are talking the same language. They're saying the same thing, that it's impossible for us to have genuine faith and then have a faith that is not accompanied by actions. James is saying that you can say you have faith, that you have to show it, though. You have to live it. If there's no fruit, if there's no evidence, if there's no proof, James says, well, what good is that? How is that going to help or how is it going to profit anyone? James says it doesn't. That faith is futile. That faith is worthless. Uh, what good is faith if it never comes to expression in action? Now, here's what happens to us, though, that one day your faith does come to expression in action. So when you say yes to following Jesus, when you say yes to the mercy and the grace and the goodness of God, when you say yes to forgiveness and Jesus begins to transform you, Jesus begins to become real to you, gives you a new heart, gives you new desires. In fact, the Bible puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone's in Christ, they're like new. They're a new creature and the old things passed away and everything becomes new. And so when you become a Christ follower and everything becomes new, now your life begins to change. Now your desires change. Now you become a different kind of person. Perhaps you become more giving or more loving or more engaged or more serving, more forgiving, more doing the things God would call you to do. And in the Christian life, what he's saying is that faith and works are beautifully blended together and they're inseparable. You can't separate faith with works. So the Bible says then in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 and 10, for by grace you're saved through faith, not of works. Not of works, at least otherwise people are going to boast. For we're his workmanship or his masterpiece. Uh, we're created in Christ to do good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. So on one hand, you're not saved by works, but when you are saved, you're to walk in good works. And so we're saved by Jesus' work on the cross, by faith alone, by grace alone, through Christ alone. Jesus said, it is finished. I have done it all. I have paid the price. I have paid in full. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to deserve it. Titus put it this way in Titus chapter 3, verse 5. He said, not by works of righteousness that we have done, but by his mercy he saved us. So there's nothing that we could do to earn our way to heaven. See, our story, friends, is a story of grace. What an awesome story that our story is not try your best and do harder, try to rack up the good works and maybe you'll go to the happy place. That's not our story. Our story is that 
God's grace built a bridge from heaven to earth. Our story is that it's a God-only story. Our story is that when we were dead in our trespasses and in our sins, Christ came and Christ died. And how awesome is that? And so that's how you have relationship with Christ. Our story is that Jesus made a way, not by works of righteousness that we have done. For by grace, we're saved through faith alone. So, but James is saying this. James is saying that, yes, you say you have faith, but there's more to the conversation. And he wants to elongate the conversation. And so James wants to make the point clear that a saving faith, a genuine faith, a real faith, friends, it's a laboring faith. It's a faith that comes to expression in your deeds, in your actions, in what you do. And so, number one, real saving faith is a laboring faith. Let's look at verse 15. So what James does, he's going to talk about dead faith. He says, this is what dead faith looks like. And he poses a scenario and exemplifies dead faith and describes a very desperate condition of someone that would be a member of our community. And he says this, suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good is that? So James is saying, imagine that here this morning, you have a one-on-one encounter with somebody that you may have recognized as a part of the faith community here. And you bump into them and you realize they're homeless. You realize they're like dressed in rags. And we're not talking about they can't pay their phone bill. Or they're going out to in and out too much. That's not who we're talking about. We're talking about the person that is in dire destitute poverty. Literally in the original language, they could be naked. They're barely clothed. They're starving. They're freezing to death. They're not able, they're not able to even sustain their life. And you meet them and you say, wow, man, sorry. Sorry to see your condition. Sorry to see you're starving. I'm sorry to see that you're freezing to death. Hey, bro, I just need you to know that Man, I hope you get better. And I, I just gonna, I'm just praying that God would bless you. And I'm, you know what I'm gonna do for you? I'm gonna pray for you. I'm gonna pray. But you do nothing, though you had the capacity, you had the means, you had the resources, you had the opportunity to meet them, and you just walked. James says, how does that help them? How does that profit them? Does your words feed them? Does your words clothe them? What good is that, James is saying? Now, I get it that we can't help all people. We can't be all things to all people all the time, all by ourselves. I get it we can't help everybody. I get it that we need to pray. We need God to lead us and who we help and why we help them. I get it that some people out there, they've got wants, but they're maybe not real needs. I get it that we have to say no, and that may be the best thing to help some people. I get all that, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about somebody here, part of this community, that you can help them and you walk on them. And James is pressing us and saying that, look, if your life belongs to Jesus, you're going to have a heart that becomes like his heart, a heart of compassion, a heart of empathy. If your heart belongs to Jesus, you're going to begin to absorb his heart for people that are broken 
people that are destitute. Not that you can help everybody, but you're going to begin to see broken people as he sees broken people. And there will be times when you have the opportunity to step into that space and you can do something like Jesus would do and take action. That's what James is describing here. Not where you just say to everybody, oh, I'm so sorry for your situation. See, true faith, true faith it's not just saying the right things. It's doing the right things. Again, James said, you can say this or that, that you have real faith. So the person in need here stays in need. And James is saying, look, don't just feel sorry for them. What you need to do is you need to have a $10 sorry for them or a $100 sorry for them or a get some clothes for them or a buy a lunch for them. And so you cross that line to doing something. So real saving faith then, it's a laboring faith, but also, friends, it is a loving faith. That's what he's talking about here. So James is saying, look, it's one thing to feel sorry for the plight of the poor, but it's another thing to have a real faith which actually comes to expression in love. So I love what one pastor said, Craig Rochelle said this, life is not so much about how many likes you get, but about how much love that you give. So James then closes this section with a summary statement. I hope that we're going to be safe here in the wind. And so, no, this tent is secure, so don't worry about that. But he says this. So you see faith by itself, it's dead being alone or it's not enough unless it produces good works or good deeds. So the passage is saying this. If you don't have any works, any deeds, any activities, anything that is visible that people can see, yes, that's a Christ follower. If there's nothing there, James is saying, do you actually have faith? And perhaps you need to, uh, as Paul said in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he said, you need to examine yourself and actually see if you're in the faith. And sometimes we need to do that. So now what he's going to talk about, he's going to talk about the centrality of works that accompany genuine faith. So he says this, James is saying that, uh, saying this in verse 18. He says, someone may argue. So there's an objector. Imagine this objector that wants to, to debate and talk about it. Verse 18. Someone may argue. Some people have faith and others have good deeds. And the person saying, like, that's how it is. Some just have faith. Some just have good deeds. And you can actually separate people into people that are the good deed folk and the people that are the have faith folk. And James is saying, no, doesn't work that way. It's inseparable. If it is separable, then you don't even have faith. You've got dead faith. And so someone may say, hey, I've got a lot of faith, but I don't have works. And somebody may say, well, I've got a lot of works, but I don't have faith. And James says, no, no, no. You have to have both. You can't merely have faith, and you can't merely have works. And then he continues in verse 18. Notice he says, but I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have deeds? I'll show you my faith by my good works. So faith and works, friends, are inseparable is what he's saying. He says, don't come to me and talk of your good game about faith if I can't see it, if you don't do anything. So then he goes on to talk in verse 19 
having talked to us about dead faith. Then he's going to say there's another kind of faith. Verse 19, he's going to describe to us, is actually a demonic faith. And that is where they recognize truth, but really never repent of the truth that they recognize. Look at verse 19. You say you have faith. But see, they had no faith beyond their words. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one good. And like sarcastically, he's saying like, yeah, good for you. Like, good for you. And then he says, even the demons believe, and they tremble or they shudder in terror. So this is, uh, he's saying like, look, even demons believe true statements about God. So if you just believe a true statement about God, what good does that do you? He's saying, look, uh, and this is sobering, by the way. This is stunning passage of Scripture. But what he's saying is, just because you believe true statements about God doesn't mean you're in right relationship with God. And he uses this really cool Greek word here where it says tremble or shudder, and it literally means to be uncontrollably shaking. It means to be violently shaking with extreme fear uh, in the presence and recognizing the power of God. It literally means that you're just freaking out. And so the demons that are reacting to who Jesus is. And James says, you could ask them, you could say, hey, demons, do you believe God? And they would say, oh yeah, we believe God. Would you believe in the resurrection? Like we were there, of course we believe in the resurrection. And you could look at them and you could see that intellectually they know who Jesus is. They, they're not agnostics. They're not atheists. They actually are believers in God. They know that he exists. They believe in Jesus. They believe in the resurrection. You could ask them questions. And so the demons, they actually know scripture. They know the Bible. They have some doctrine going on. You can ask them uh, multiple questions. And the problem is this, is though the demons there possessed good theology, the good theology never possessed them. And people can be like that, where you can ask people, hey, do you believe? They, oh, yes, I believe. Uh, but then you ask the demons, but would you follow him? Would you give him your life? They're like, no, 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 no. No, we play for another team. We're not going to follow. Uh, he, we're not about following Jesus or honoring Jesus. But yeah, but we believe. I mean, we, we will uh, uh, give assent to multiple truths about who God is. And so just like the demons, there are many people, 80% of America believes, they believe in various attributes about God, but that doesn't mean you have real faith. James is saying this. It's shocking. It's stunning. But James is saying this. saying, look, you can have all the intellectual knowledge. Uh, you can say you believe in God. You can say Jesus is a good man. You can believe that you're going to go to a happy place someday. You can believe all that. And James would say, congratulations. You have the same faith as demons have. That's what he's saying here. It's right there in your Bible. And so that is the truth, friends. There are people that think they have faith. There could be some here this morning. And your faith's not real faith. It's not dynamic faith. If it doesn't meet what he says here, verses 20 to 26. So now we're going to talk about the kind of faith we all want to have. Not dead faith, not demonic faith, but a dynamic faith. Uh, what kind of faith is that? We talked about it. It is a laboring faith. 
It is a loving faith. It is a faith that where your belief begets your behavior. Let's read in verse 20. So what James is going to do now is to help us better understand what dynamic faith looks like. James is going to reach back into the Old Testament and he's going to pull out a couple of characters who demonstrated their faith by their actions and showed they had living faith. He says this, verse 21. Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right by God right with God by his actions when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar. And so now he's going to give us two dramatically polar opposite examples of illustrations of what living faith looks like. And the first one he grabs here is he grabs, I want to call him the Tom Brady of the Old Testament. He's got seven Super Bowl rings on his ring, on his, on his fingers. He is a hero of the Old Testament. All the Jews know who who Abraham is. He's the patriarch of our faith. So James begins with Abraham, that everybody would know who Abraham was. They know who Rachel uh, was. And he says, you remember this guy. And he talks about this very famous episode taken from Genesis chapter 22. And he says this about him. He says, verse 22, you see, his faith and his actions worked together. Now, what did Abraham do? But Abraham did this, and it's very important that we get this because I think that most of us don't understand what works are. I think most of us came to church not understanding it, and we're going to understand it as soon as we've had a chance to unpack these few verses. So what he said is this. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, it says, And Abraham grabbed uh, Isaac his son, and he's going to go to Mount Moriah. So Mount Moriah is something that he had to ascend. So he takes the implement that the, the implement that he's going to kill his son. Because the Bible says that he believed if necessary, God would raise him from the dead. So God then he asked of Abraham that he would sacrifice his son. He says, uh, go into a mount that I'm going to show you. And there you're going to sacrifice your son uh, on the mount that I'm going to show you. So what does Abraham do? Does he sit at home on his hands going, yeah, I believe you? Or did he say to his son, Isaac, he pushes all his chips into the middle. He's all in. He says, Isaac, come with me. And Isaac says, but God, where, where is the lamb for the, for the offering? And it says, and he says, God will provide himself a burnt offering, a lamb for the sacrifice. But there you need to see it. There is Abraham ascending Mount Moriah, willing to sacrifice his son. You see, this is what faith is like, that he, he, he completely trusts God. He pushes all his chips in, and he's holding nothing back. That's the good work that James is talking about here. Abraham puts his faith in action. And so God did not want Isaac, uh, didn't want just want Isaac the son, God wanted Abraham the father, and he wanted all of him, and that's what he got. That was the good work where he showed God, God, you've got all of me. God, I won't hold anything back from you. I won't even hold back from you, my son, in whom all the promises of God lay. And I get it. There's people out there who would say, yeah, that's the Tom Brady of the Old Testament. That's the hero, Abraham. That's a superstar, a religious uh, icon. 
but I'm just a normal person. I just, I can't even relate to that patriarch. And James says, no problem. I'll pull out, not another patriarch, I'll pull out a prostitute. I'll pull out a prostitute that was working her trade there in the walls of Jericho. And let's talk about her, and let's talk about her faith, because she's just like Abraham. Verse 25. So we're going to see here that Rahab's faith was not dead, but she has, uh, but though she's in huge contrast to Abraham, her faith is living. And so Rahab the prostitute's another example. She was shown to be right by God by what she talked about. Is that what it said? No. By her actions, when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away on a different road. So this is taken from Joshua chapter 2. What happens there is she knows that the children of Israel are going to annihilate Jericho. And so she bumps into a couple spies that had been sent there. And when she bumps into them, she says to the spies, hey, would you remember me? And, uh, and I believe in your God. And I want to trust your God. So she hides the spies there in, in her place. You can imagine what all the people are thinking that are watching, that knowing who she is, and the spies come in. And she hides them. And then when the soldiers come to try to discover them, she says, like, I don't know what you're talking about. And she tells them a bold-faced lie, but by faith she's trusting uh, in God here. And so this is what Rahab does. And so she's a pagan, and we need to see that she risked it all. That's her work, that she risked everything that she put her faith in action. And so both Abraham and, and Rahab do the very same thing. Faith demonstrates itself. Both Abraham and Rahab align themselves in totality with God's will. Both of them are willing to do whatever to stay in tune and to stay in touch in living out God's will. See, that's the work that they were doing. Rahab trusted God. Abraham trusted God. So number three, a, a real dynamic faith. It's not only a laboring faith, and it's not only a loving faith, but we see here that it's a living faith. They both put all of their, line, all of their lives on the line for God. Now the conclusion to the whole matter is found in this, in verse 26. Here's a central point. The faith without works is dead. And he gives this graphic illustration. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without works. So he wants to lay one last illustration, demonstrable picture of what real faith looks like and what real faith is not. And he says it. Imagine someone that is dead. You've been to funerals, open casket, and you look at them and there's no life, there's no power, there's no responsiveness. It's just a shell, really, of a body. They're in a, in a, in a casket or in other places. And what he's saying here is that both Abraham and Rahab, their faith was not like that. And I'll tell you where this verse became real to me. It's in part of my training, I, I dissected a cadaver, completely dissected a cadaver. 
I remember when I first saw the cadavers, there was about six cadavers, a room about this size. I was assigned to a cadaver, and I, re- and I knew this verse, and I remember when I saw the cadaver, I thought to myself, oh, so this is what James was talking about. Just as the body of that cadaver, without breath, without a spirit, is dead, so is faith without works, dead being alone. And then I had another experience uh, with the same thing. And that is, I was in, uh, it was again in my training, uh, I, did a, uh, a, I did autopsies. I didn't actually perform them, but I assisted with the autopsies. And so I would see bodies that had just died. And I remember the first time I was doing an autopsy with these two doctors, pathologists, and I was standing there kind of figuring out what I was going to do and just sort of taking everything in. And they cut the cadavers, they cut the heart out of it. And they took the heart and they threw it at me like it was a ball. And I caught the heart. It's only maybe six hours, eight hours dead. I caught the heart and they said, hey, weigh it, kid. I put it on a scale and I weighed the heart. And I threw the heart back to them. They threw me some other organs. And um, this is how it is. That's just what they do. I mean, they're not, you'd think they would be like really, like I was shocked at how irreverent that they were. Here, kid, weigh the heart. Just threw it at me. Okay. And so, but again, I thought to myself, just as the body without the spirit is dead, so works without dead, with works, uh, faith without works is dead being alone. And so what James is saying is this. James is saying is that just like that, just like that, you may have, uh, you can see a spirit, okay? But then without a body without the spirit, the body ceases to be. James is saying that in the same way, faith that is not accompanied by works ceases to be. And so what might this look like in our lives? I want to close with this. How do you combine your faith with your actions? How do you have real faith, living faith, loving faith, laboring faith, not dead faith, not demonic faith, but dynamic faith. How do you live that out? Well, some of us here, I just want to give a few illustrations, then I'll be done. Some of us here, maybe you're out of work, and you're transitioning, you're looking for work, and you're praying about work and trusting God for work and believing God, but that's not enough. You got you to get out there, hit the pavement, hit the internet, do everything you can. Faith without works is dead being alone. Maybe you want to be married someday. Maybe you want to be a a wife someday. You want to be a mother. You want to be a father. You want to be a husband. You want to be that someday. Maybe you're praying for your husband, praying for your wife. That's what you want to be. But what about reading? Uh, You're reading books and, and learning about it, but you've got to do everything you can that that will one day be a reality. Yes, you you trust God and you believe, but you got to be about the doing part of it also. Maybe there's students here, you want to go to college, and you, you want to go to nursing school or uh, be a teacher or whatever. But it's not enough, James is saying. Not enough just to, to pray about it or trust God or believe that he's going to help you do that. No, you have got to work at it. You've got to add works to your faith. So I'll use myself for an example. I wanted to go, I wanted to be a missionary. I wanted to be a a, a medical, a dental missionary. 
And so what I did then is I did everything. Yes, I, I trusted God and I prayed and I believed God. But I didn't stop there. Faith without works is dead, being alone. So I did an internship. I applied to every internship I could. I did an internship in Mexico. And I got mentors. Dr. John McGregor and, uh, and Dr. John Taylor. Dr. Dick Nusma, and I followed them around, and I, I met with them, and I studied them, and I talked to them, and I got, I got mentors because I wanted to learn how to do it from them. I literally followed them around. And so, so doing mentorships, getting coached, and then you got to apply. You can't just pray about it. So you know what I did? I applied. I'm not kidding you. I applied to 26 schools, 26, just so I could get into one. Now, I got into more than one, but, but I applied to, to every school I could. I applied to Harvard. I knew I wouldn't get into Harvard, but I'm going to apply anyways. I applied to McHarry, um, which didn't take any white students, but I didn't care. I applied anyways. So works, I'm not kidding, works without faith. Works without faith. It's dead being alone. Friends, friends, one life to live. One life of faith to live. And we want to live it right. And we can by the grace of God. So the worship team is going to come up. I'm going to close in worship. I'm going to close in prayer. And then we're going to take communion. Pastor Jim is going to lead us in communion. So we want to prepare our hearts to do that. So let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for the great passage here in James chapter 2 about genuine faith. And I pray that by your grace, Father, that we would step into living a genuine faith, a faith that is laboring for you, that's not just all talk, a faith that loves others, and a faith, Father, that is living. Father, I pray that you would do in us what only you could do in us and stir our hearts that we would have genuine faith. In Jesus' name.